Like in cities across the country, the region's first protest ended in fire and blood. On Saturday, May 30th, what started as a peaceful protest in La Mesa ended in several buildings being burnt to the ground, some businesses looted, and a 59-year-old black woman bloodied and hospitalized by a beanbag round shot by police. On Tuesday, La Mesa police released a timeline of events. Here's what they say happened. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. David Hernandez, you're the public safety reporter for the Union Tribune, and you've been following the aftermath of the first protests in the region following the death of George Floyd. Let's start with context. How detailed is this timeline, and what are some things that it doesn't have? Uh, good question. So um, it's it's essentially a, a step-by-step account of um, the hours uh, before the protest began um, all the way through about like 3.30 a.m., so well into the next day. Um, as we know, you know, this lasted for, for hours. Um, it was essentially, um, it's the most complete account we have from police to date. Um, although, you know, it, it, it puts p- information uh, together from uh, essentially it, uh, what dispatchers entered into the police department's uh, computer system throughout the night based on 911 calls, for example, and also what, um, uh, they heard from officers over the police radio. Um, so again, it's it's detailed in that it covers um, the hours, all of the hours, um, even the hours before the protest began. Um, but uh, you know, again, it's based on what dispatchers heard over the radio and the information they got over the phone. So um, in that sense, it's not considered complete. Um, so that's kind of how this was all put together. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of go through this timeline, starting from the beginning. What was the protest origins and kind of walk us through that first phase of the protest that was earlier in the afternoon? Yeah, so the protest began um, around 2 p.m. and it began in front of the police station. Um, There's a front plaza. And uh, it began with about like 200 protesters. And um, as many of us know, it it grew um, upwards of 2,000. and uh, at some point, um, after about like two hours, uh, the group marched from the police station through city streets and onto the freeway. Um, and so that was essentially like the first two hours of the protest. And that was also the first time that um, officers um, came face to face with protesters. Um, we saw CHP officers on the freeway. Um, they had already been staged along the freeway, and I'm talking about Interstate 8, um, to prevent protesters from getting onto the freeway. But as we know, that did not happen. Um, so that was a moment that they, the officers came face to face with protesters for the first time. Um, protesters essentially uh, were able to walk past the line of CHP officers. And like I mentioned, they walked onto the freeway. They um, uh, took over, um, and once they were on the freeway, it was, it was relatively peaceful. Uh, most of them at one point um, either sat or uh, were on their knees holding up signs in the air. So um, that's kind of um, how, it, how it began and, and started to get into the streets. Eventually, the, the group would end up coming back to the police station, and that's where ten- things um, became tense. Um, I think it's important to know that according to what police said uh, yesterday in their account of the protest, um, they essentially uh, painted a picture of uh, of a protest that was mostly peaceful through this 
uh, time period that I'm describing. Um, but the date did they did point to um, certain instances um, that uh, they considered, you know, uh, not so peaceful. Um, so, for example, they say that an officer, um, uh, a few officers, were struck by water bottles along the freeway. Um, they also said that a uh, an officer was watching a live stream on Instagram of the protest and heard a female protester saying something about uh, raiding a Walmart. Um, and then once the group left, um, there was also a report of a um, woman being hit in the face by a protester in an olive wood, or, sorry, <laughs> olive garden parking lot. Um, so these bits and pieces are what you know, I think police point to in terms of what they were seeing. Um, but again, it's important to note that most of the protesters up to this point were pretty peaceful. Mm -hmm. And during this portion, how prepared were police for the protests? Because at this point, there had already been violent protests in Minneapolis, that police precinct in Minneapolis had burned down. We started seeing things in New York, Los Angeles, mostly big cities. So how ready was the Mesa PD and other agencies for something that could turn violent? Yeah, the, the, they were, um, as the police chief um, said, that was certainly a question that I had uh, for the police chief, and I was able to interview him briefly yesterday. Um, so they were, but according to what he said, they were on high alert, um, and they were aware of the incidents that were happening across the country, the protests, um, as you mentioned, some of them turning violent. Um, I think they would agree that they didn't know just what would unfold in La Mesa and therefore weren't really prepared for what happened. Um, they did take some steps before the protests. Uh, they were in communication with the sheriff's department, for example, and asked that uh, teams of deputies be um, on standby, so to speak. They asked that they stage at the city's uh, public works department building, which is about a half a mile away from the police station. Um, and they would eventually be called in. Um, they also had staged, as I mentioned, CHP officers along the freeway. Their hope was to prevent uh, protesters from getting onto the freeway. Um, so they took those steps to to have essentially backup. Um, but really, you know, I, I don't know that they were fully prepared for what ended up happening that, that day. And do we know if there was any conversations about, you know, the fact that they had that racial incident with, um, Omri Johnson just days before, I mean, were they kind of worried that this could be a spark that led to something more? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that that was on their radar and that they knew that people were um, angry about that incident. Um, so, um, you know, I was kind of curious, you know, what was their attitude coming into this? And, um, you know, um, one thing that police chief said that the, was that they were definitely concerned that things could escalate. Um, like I mentioned, they were look, uh, watching the news from uh, news about protests across the country. And one thing the chief um, pointed to specifically was um, that they took note of what happened in Minneapolis, where a police precinct building was overrun, burned and vandalized. So I think that was weighing on their mind a little bit um, as well. Mm -hmm. And of course, protests are you know, naturally messy. It's very confusing, even if you're following them live on the news or on social media. So kind of in this first phase, before police started using tactics that, you know, some describe as escalation, what did protesters say? What was their kind of perspective on the kind of first phase of the protest prior to going downtown the second time? Um, prior to returning to the police station? Yes. yes. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it was, their take was, is that um, it was relatively peaceful. Um, and, um, you know, even police's account, I think at, up to this point, um, does paint that section of the protest as pretty peaceful. Um, but yeah, I think things didn't really get tense until they returned to the police station. Um, and that's when we saw things escalate. Um, but but if, I mean, from what protesters have said up to this point, it was just a few people that were kind of, uh, you know, not so peaceful. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting kind of into the late afternoon, early evening. Protesters start moving back to the police station in La Mesa. Describe that scene of when, you know, things got more intense. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's important to note, too, that at some point um, there was about 200 people, and this is according to police's account, there were about 200 people outside of the police station while another 1,000 or so um, were marching through city streets, including on uh, Murray Drive. Um, so there were a couple of uh, protests going on at the same time. Um, but uh, again, it, it was during this time when uh, the larger group was heading back to the police station that police say they got a call about um, a protester hitting a woman in, in, in the face at an uh, Olive Garden parking lot. Um, so I think they were kind of at that point, according to them, starting to see things change a bit um, in terms of the dynamic. Um, and um, so, yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of a lot of the group then congregated outside of the police station. And um, I think at this point, too, is still pretty much um, just pockets of, uh, you know, crowds of protesters that were. Uh, again, starting to uh, become less peaceful. Um, so one thing that happened that I think really kind of changed the dynamic was that um, outside the police station at this point, um, according to police that didn't have any officers um, on the outside of the station. Um, but that's when a, uh, a protester, at least one, um, burned the uh, US flag that is outside of the police station. And according to the police chief, that's when um, officers came outside and formed a line and kind of started to protect the building. It was also around this time that they say some protesters started throwing rocks. Um, so I think it was kind of once officers were there face to face with protesters that things really escalated. Um, you know, we, we've, we, they, they, they were in riot gear holding batons, as we've seen in photos. Um, and community members say, you know, that the way police respond after oftentimes, um, including in riot gear, uh, escalates uh, the tension at a protest. And um, again, the police chief said that they didn't have officers outside of the police station until after they saw the flag being burned and, um, and, and saw rocks and bottles being thrown at the station. Yeah, that's something we've been hearing from other reporters that covered this protest and also the one in downtown San Diego the next day, is that kind of as soon as police were with shields and batons and riot gear, that's kind of when things get a little bit more tense as, you know, I guess it's the natural reaction of seeing people, you know, standing like that, that things get more tense. So perhaps the most dramatic part of this was when several buildings... Uh, were burnt down, and also the city hall had a fire briefly inside. Why don't you explain the events that led up to that and how police responded? Yeah, so again, I think once police responded in, in riot gear, that escalated tensions. Um, again, police 
point to those incidents that led up to that. Um, but once we were in this stage, um, we really saw, I think, uh, protesters a lot more frustrated. And so, for example, um, a, a few in the crowd jumped on an armored vehicle once uh, that uh, Bearcat arrived to broadcast orders to disperse. Um, <clears throat> and throughout the night, we saw you know several orders to disperse, um, uh, kind of to, to little effect. Um, but essentially, leading up to the to the fires, um, police were trying to get people to disperse by broadcasting orders and. Um, several in, in the crowd um, had kind of dispersed and um, had become, a you know, a little bit more violent at that point in terms of, you know, throwing throwing rocks at officers. Um, we started to see, according to the police account, some uh, sheriff's deputies uh, arrive at this point. Um, they had been staged, as I mentioned, and according to police, you know, some of the crowd were throwing bottles and rocks as they arrived. I think the first instance of um, a law enforcement being injured was around this time when a deputy was um, hit by a rock. Um, so, so it, it was, you know, during this point that it, it was pretty tense. Um, and um, as night fell, you know, police kind of, their response was a lot stronger. We started to see them um, fire pepper balls. It was actually the, the uh, officers in the Bearcat who fired a pepper ball. Um, this was in the evening, and then later we saw deputies fire tear gas. Again, efforts to try to disperse the crowd, um, which were, you know, pretty unsuccessful up until you know late into the to the next day, early into the next day. Sorry. Um, so, so it it was this kind of tension that really escalated, and then we saw the fires and the looting. Mm -hmm. And one other event that's drawn attention and criticism is when that 59-year-old black woman was hit by the beanbag. Why do you explain what happened with that? Yeah, so this happened just after 6, or sorry, just after 6, uh, sorry, after 8 p.m. Um, so we have um, several accounts of this. Uh, the account police released was the first time they actually mentioned or I guess commented on the incident. Um, but we have a video that she posted to her Facebook account. Uh, she was actually live on Facebook when this happened. Um, we've also heard from her lawyer in terms of what he's heard from people who witnessed the incident. Um, but again, this happened during a very tense moment um, and she had actually just arrived according to her live stream of the protest about five, um, five to 10 minutes before she was shot is when she arrived um, to, to the protest. Um, so um, she was shot in the forehead with a beanbag round by a Mesa police officer. We know that. Um, and just yesterday, police say, you know, she was seen throwing an object, but really didn't elaborate or um, confirm whether she did throw an object or not. Um, her attorney has said he has seen no videos of her throwing um, an object. She was holding a soda can. Um, and, uh, and, you know, like many other people, believe that she was unarmed, therefore did not pose a threat. And really there's uh, nothing that she did that warrants being shot in the forehead with, with a beanbag round. Um, she almost lost an eye. Um, and today we learned, you know, she lost vision in her left eye. She's using a walker for now. And she said she feels um, pretty weak still. Um, today was actually, it was just in La Mesa. Today was the first time she spoke publicly. So she thanked um, God. She thanked hospital staff that helped her in her recovery. And of course, she still faces a long recovery ahead. Um, 
So uh, police, uh, well, first I'll say that her attorney and her family has pushed for the police department to release the officer's name. Um, they want him to be publicly identified and they also want him to be fired, um, you know, saying he used excessive force. Police have been pretty tight-lipped about the case. Um, again, yesterday the chief um, answered a few questions, but there's plenty we don't know. Um, he says that the officer has been identified, but he did not uh, release his name, and there's no indication that he will anytime soon. Um, he says that an investigation into the incident began the next day, so Sun Sunday, uh, May 31st, and that it's ongoing. Um, he does plan to release more information, including body-worn camera uh, video, once the incident uh, investigation is completed. Um, but again, you know, uh, community members are pretty frustrated about this case because um, in many ways, it's exactly why they're out there, you know, protesting against police brutality. Um, and it's gotten a lot of attention, um, partly because it was captured uh, on video. Uh, you know, that's a lot of why we know so much about what happened in, in that incident. Um, and so the chief um, today released a statement and he, you know, said that he was thankful that um, the protester, her name is Leslie Burkhan, is um, out of the hospital and able to recover at home. And uh, he pledged to, you know, listen to the community and revisit the tactics that police use to control crowds during protests. Um, that's about all he said. So, you know, he didn't really elaborate on what that means in terms of next steps. Mm -hmm. And also, we know as all this was going on in the late evening, around midnight or so, uh, there was discussions to call in the National Guard. Why don't you explain that? Yeah, so uh, La Mesa requested that the Sheriff's Department call for the National Guard um, around 11 p.m. Um, once things essentially were becoming a lot more violent. Um, but officials were told that the National Guard wasn't available because troops were in Los Angeles. So, um, they weren't able to come, and the Sheriff's Department the next day uh, requested that the troops come again. Um, but once again, they were told that they were unavailable. So they really didn't arrive until the following Wednesday. Um, and we saw them here in San Diego County, including in La Mesa, um, through Sunday night is when they left. Um, so there were some attempts to call the National Guard, um, but uh, again, they were unavailable. Mm -hmm. And uh, is there anything else we need to know about, like, uh, early in the morning, the kind of denouement of this protest when things finally wrapped up that you haven't discussed yet? Um, no, I think that, you know, uh, there's still a lot of information that we're waiting for. Um, you know, again, it would be great to get some body-worn camera video. Um, and um, also, you know, so we'll have a follow-up story on essentially the reaction to the uh, account police released. Uh, there were a lot of public commenters during a city council meeting yesterday um, who, um, like some city officials, called for an independent review of how police handled the protest. So um, it's still an open question whether that will happen, but that would certainly be really interesting. Um, you know, whether an outside agency finds that um, police could have handled it differently or finds any discrepancies in their account. Um, and, um, and yeah, to the, the lawyer of the um, woman who was shot in the forehead with a beanbag round has also requested information from police that he's still waiting to get. Um, that might shed light on more 
and more things about that specific case. Um, so there's there's plenty of information that we don't know yet, but it'll be interesting to see what else we are able to uh, learn. Mm-hmm. And also, when considering this entire document, are there any parts that protesters and activists are saying are false or misleading? Have you heard from them yet? Um, yeah, you know, it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, police, you know, perhaps agitated um, protesters even just um, in the way they responded, um, you know, lining up um, to block protesters, for example, on uh, Interstate 8, which was kind of earlier on, goes back to the notion of, you know, uh, responding in large numbers, responding in riot gear often escalates tension. Um, And again, you know, what happened that night essentially turned into uh, riots and looting. Um, But uh, another thing community members stress, I think is important to stress, is that a lot of the uh, protesters were pretty peaceful. Um, And um, another thing I've heard, too, is that um, while, you know, many of the protesters were peaceful, police, um, La Mesa police and sheriff's deputies, um, essentially, you know, were just firing tear gas into the crowd. Um, So in many ways, you know, um, targeting people who were likely pretty peaceful, um, just firing um, less lethal rounds into the crowd, that sort of thing that, you know, affected people who weren't being violent. Mm -hmm. And at this point, are there any calls within La Mesa to, you know, change policy within the police, to partially defund the police department, establish the eight can't wait claims that is being pushed nationwide? Where do things like that stand? Yeah, I mean, there is. Um, I think La Mesa is pretty shaken still. with everything that happened in their city, um, you know, we haven't seen tension escalate to that point in the region, I think, in, in a long time. And one thing the mayor said, um, he was pretty shaken yesterday even. Um, you know, he said that there are plenty of people that want to move past this, but um, he doesn't think his city ever will move past it. Um, he hopes that they look back on this um for years to come as the moment where they were able to finally see change within um, the police department. Um, that said, you know, it remains t- to be seen what exactly, how exactly that will happen or what exactly the city will, um, what steps the city will take to enact change. There are, like you mentioned, several ideas out there floating, not just in La Mesa, but across the country in terms of what can be done to uh, reform police departments and policing in general. Um, so in La Mesa, um, they created a task force last year to kind of look into how best to provide um, o- civilian oversight. Um, and so that task force is set to meet next week. So I think that will shed light in terms of you know what possible steps can be taken, maybe even soon. Um, but uh, the sense you know I'm getting is that. You know, even the police chief, like I mentioned today, issued a statement saying that they are open to revisiting the tactics they use when they um, respond to to large crowds. Um, but it remains to be seen, you know, uh, how that change will look or what they're even interested in. Um, the mayor said he's open to a lot of ideas and that he thinks um, city leaders need to be unconventional when they think about how to move forward. So 
you know, some, some vague statements so far, but we'll, we'll have to see how, how that plays out. And finally, uh, these past two weeks have been a true reckoning for literally every institution in our lives, just the ways that this country was built from the beginning that don't treat people equally. And San Diego as a region isn't immune from what happened to George Floyd, Alfred Olengo, Old McNeil. So given everything that's happened, do you feel that your reporting has changed? And more importantly, do you feel that police are providing you accurate information when it comes to how they're treating people who look different than the majority? Yeah. Um, I think this is a conversation that's unfolding across the country. Um, as you alluded to, um, you know, in a lot of cases, we don't really know, um, you know, whether we can rely on what police are saying until later, you know, once, for example, body-worn camera is released. Um, so um, there have been a lot of instances that I've been covering, including the arrest of um, man at the uh, trolley station in La Mesa. Um, so, so, I mean, it, it kind of varies, you know, in terms of the level of information I've gotten and also uh, what exactly police have said. Um, but to get back to your question, um, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the times it's it's hard to know whether we can rely on the information that police are giving us. And that's exactly why so many people are calling for civilian oversight and for more transparency, for more uh, statewide laws that call for the release of uh, police records. Um, and, you know, that certainly, I think, are all things that would provide more transparency and um it would make it a lot easier for me to know, to answer your question in terms of whether police are, you know, providing accurate information. So, um, yeah, and, and I guess I'll just add to that a lot of um, what has um, helped in terms of reporting and what I've had to rely on are videos um, recorded by bystanders. So um, I say that um, because I think it's important to note that um, we, can't just rely on the information police are releasing and and we aren't um in many cases um we we know what we know because of what bystanders have recorded um and in many cases it's those videos uh, from bystanders that have pushed police to release more information um you know i think they're there when there's a video out there that captures at least part of the incident they're forced to respond um, and, you know, it's then that we get some, some more information about all of these incidents that are happening. Mm -hmm. All right. David Hernandez, thank you so much. Thank you. In other news, San Diego City Council members defended their decision to increase the San Diego Police Department's budget by $27 million. They argued for a broader and more incremental approach to solving police misconduct and racial inequities. That approach calls for better police training, stricter oversight, new procedures to de-escalate situations, and more focus on proactive, neighborhood-oriented policing, they said. The council voted 8-1 to one for a new $1.5 billion city budget Monday night that increases police funding and gives $42 million in federal COVID-19 relief money to the police department. The vote followed more than a week of local and national protests against police brutality and a 12-hour hearing where 450 callers and 4,000 people sent emails urging the council to cut police funding. Councilwoman Monica Montgomery 
the council's only black member, proposed the Office of Race and Equity over the weekend. She said the city needs to take an incremental approach and study the roots of police misconduct problems before decreasing funding. She also stressed the problem goes beyond police and that economic inequities must be addressed. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. As we live through this momentous time in history, the truth and facts matter. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.